This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. And with that, welcome to MM Plays, where we examine games, mechanics, and encounters through the examples of our actual play. Tonight, we discuss putting the story inside of your conflict in tabletop role-playing games. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. I'm Chris. And I am Old Man Logan. What, what tripped you up there, Jerry, is that there's two spaces after that period. That's, that's what threw you off. It's what threw me off when I looked at it, too. <laughs> the funny thing is, that's not how it was written. That's because I cut and pasted something in there, and I took the space at the end of the last one and stuck it in. Normally, I clean that stuff up, but I have been shirking my duties the last couple of weeks. All right, a little, behind, a little bit behind the scenes thing yes. here. <laughs> Show you how the sausage is made. Jerry and I learned to type in the same decade. Yes. So, and on likely the same kind of hardware, which is an actual typewriter. Yes. So, for both of us, we were two spaces after the period. Years and years ago, I made a conscious effort to remove that from all of my writing. And it was excruciating for like, six months to get it out of all my writing until it was finally gone. But Jerry still does it and I can't not see it anymore. <laughs> Every time I look at like a block of text, I'm like, there's double spaced periods. In Why here. is like, there so much white space there? Yeah, it's just, it's funny and I tease him about it, but I grew up the same way. I learned to type on a uh, IBM Selectric from a uh, <laughs> guy who smoked cigarettes in my classroom while he was, you know, teaching us how to type like 30 something IBM Selectric's and, you know, sick unison clacking along yes. so anyway i like to tease i like to tease jerry about it hey as the editor that is not the only quirk jerry has but yes. we're not going to go into those <laughs> i mean i got my own set of quirks but it ain't but it ain't two spaces after a period i got 99 grammatical problems but two spaces <laughs> after the period ain't one of them <laughs> oh man i just understood that i feel bob's pain because while he edits text i edit audio oh my gosh yes, we have similar pains uh, anyways, let's do some uh, a real quick announcement. Really, we only have one, which is please tell your friends about us. Please, we, you know, if you like this show, tell somebody else and tell them what you like about it. Don't tap a stranger. Don't do that. That's Just, my fault. I said that. Yeah, he said that last episode. But yeah, yeah, send him a letter. Send him a text. I mean, if you send them a letter, I want to know. You can send us a letter. That'd be interesting. I'd, I'd like to ha like handwritten letters are like the way of the snail dough mail, mail baby. Trap them in a car on a long, long car ride and make them listen to the episodes. Do people of a certain age even know what a stamp is anymore? I hilariously still have to write one so check and I. send it in the mail once a month. <laughs> it's hilarious. Stupid. Do you know that you can like almost you can send checks just from your bank these days? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean it's been it's been a while since you could do that. Like I'm I'm saying that like it's like a revelation. It's not. It's just Phil saying that like I had to send a check via mail. Like I'm like, do you even have to anymore? Can't you just like. Have your banks on the check? Or I've like been, the book of revelations. <laughs> I've, I've been, I've been going, going to the bank to drop off. Like when I get an expense check or something like that, that I have to cash. Now it's to the point where, because my wife is more technical savvy than I am. I just bring the check home. She takes a picture of it and deposits it in the bank right yes. like that. And I'm like, that saved that Also problem. a thing now too. Are you yep. paying for stuff with your phone yet? Uh, no, no, I, mean, <laughs> I do. Yeah. I've got, I've got that very yep. specifically turned off. I set it up, I don't know, a month or two ago after Senda made fun of me for not setting it up and I pay for everything now with my phone. Just I, tap your phone? Yeah, I, I almost never take an actual card out for anything. Well, you guys know me and technology, so I, I have enough <laughs> trouble with my phone in general, so. Jerry's phone might start on fire if he tried that. I'm actually in the, in the space where I get worried sometimes about losing my phone because if I ever lost my phone, I'd be in so much trouble. I'm already there. Yeah, but you have an iPhone. 
You lost yes. your phone, you go online and wipe it out in two seconds. I, I, I don't mean that. Like, I wouldn't have access to anything because everything's two-factored authenticated through my phone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't get into anything without my phone. It's really funny. Anyways, let's move on to the workshop. Also, tell your friends to listen to us. Story inside of combat. Hit the button. Workshop, workshop, combat, 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 combat. It's kind of boring. Maybe you should do something else besides combat during combat. your combat. More combat. Story. Yes, that here. We'll talk about it in the workshop. Don't suck. Don't, Don't suck. suck. Don't fight. So a long time ago, I mean, it's been over a decade. I was running a fourth edition D&D campaign for my uh, girlfriend then, now my wife, and a bunch of our college friends. We were all transitioning over from third edition to this game and Honestly, 4th edition felt a lot more like a tabletop miniature skirmish game than other tabletop role-playing games at the time. But we had a great time with that campaign, and while the fights were the core experience of that game, it's the story that the people always talked about afterwards. The drama, the tragedy, those difficult choices that they all had to make, those conversations, the villains, so many failures, and so many triumphs. And I'm pretty sure that some people right now would say, But 4th edition is a combat tabletop skirmish game, and all that stuff must have happened outside of the fights. So you GM'd around the game to make that happen. But no, no, I, I just use those other type of gameplay beats to influence combat situations. Or, you know, put them right inside of the fights, which is kind of what we're talking about. So, we're going to talk about how I did that, along with the techniques, ideas, and thoughts the rest of us are going to provide about getting those role-playing moments out of your combat, or just those other story beat moments out of your combat. But first, but first, we need a definition. We do. Behold! You are in the presence of definition. Yeah, let's break down a few things. Starting with combat, phase of play, right? Com this is when you engage your combat system or the combat mini game for your game. Depending on the game you have, this could be just a move uh, in, say, something like Dungeon World, or it could be like 20, 30 pages of a rule book like 4th edition D&D, uh, right? It'll depend on the game you're playing. Uh, it uses the core mechanics, you hope. <laughs> burning wheel aside, it uses the core mechanics to create a game within a game where the stakes include physical harm, death, and a variety of other potential consequences, depending on the game you're playing. Then there's role playing. I think if you're listening to this, you probably have some grasp about what we're talking about when we say role playing. You know, you'd say that, but every time I say, can you define role playing to me? A lot of people have a hard time with it. Sure. Well, it's the act of performing the part of a person or character that is not yourself. Uh, in part or in whole. So it is embodying uh, your character, which is the interface to the game. Yes. That could be a whole topic unto itself. Yes, it could be. But we're talking about things like character interactions, impactful choices uh, that alter the game situation on both small and large scales, descriptions of actions that highlight the character and setting and things like that. Skill checks um, are when you engage other mechanics of the game for non-combat applications. So all the things that we defined for combat, not those. Not to be confused with, there are sometimes combat applications of skills, like bluff for a feint or something like that. We're talking about something completely different, like maybe you're making an athletics check or a strength check or something to move something in the middle of a combat, right? So there are times where we make skill checks um, or other non-combat mechanics in the middle of a combat. Okay, let's talk about tips, techniques, and ideas, and thoughts. Now, I have a thesis. I have a thesis. Combat is just a type of story beat. Now, if you have the same combat story beat repeatedly, it just becomes stagnant, like any other story beat. That means it benefits us to have other story beats within the combat minigame or combat subsystem to keep the gameplay from becoming stagnant. I think that there's just a little corollary to that. If the combat is relatively short, 
it's probably not a big deal. Probably not. If the combat is going to be longer, then yes, then this problem starts to arise. And this is basically, I think, you know, we used to use the phrase spamming the button, right? Like if combat, 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 <laughs> turn, 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 right? Like if you just have like a quick, like, oh, random encounter, you know, boom, 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 three, you know, three hits and they're gone kind of thing. Like that's just a little thing that shakes things up. Maybe you don't have to change up beats. But if you're 12th level fighters in a Pathfinder game and you're going to have anything that looks like an average combat, you probably now want to start packing some other stuff in there. It's the same thing with any other beat too. Like I don't want just drama, 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 drama. Sure, exactly. Because too much drama is just like, well, then is it really drama? Mm -hmm. It's the classic, you can't have good without bad Mm -hmm. because you can't appreciate the good if there's no bad to counterpoint it. And this, I think, goes back to Robin's Law's Hamlet hit points. This is Hamlet hit points all over the the place. beat structure that... You need changes in beats. Otherwise, you start to become tone deaf to to the beat. It's why in horror, there has to be a break. Like, they can't constantly be running. Yeah. Otherwise, you just start to tune it out. You stop caring as much. For instance, Picard, season three. In the first half of that, they lose so many times. The beat is down so many times in a row that I I got annoyed. So, The example that I think, and the one that Chris pointed out to me the first time, is uh, Avengers Infinity War. The first half hour of that movie is a series of beats where you have combat, humor, the heroes lose, and then you have a downbeat. The heroes get together, they talk, they get attacked again, they fight for a while, they lose, romantic interlude, followed by a combat, the heroes lose, Cap shows up, the heroes win, move on. And that all goes up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, plus character growth all at the same time. Yes. In in all seriousness, read Hamlet's hit points or Robin saves you the, the hassle uh, just get the PDF. There's a chapter called "If You're Not Going to Read This Whole Book," where Robin sums up the whole thing in like six pages. Read that. Go. This is the primary thesis text for any of this stuff. Yeah. Yes. Good stuff. So, what are the types of beats that we can put into our combat mini games? There's a bunch of them in here. I mean, you can do things like romance. You can have uh, in the middle of a fight, have it slow down a little bit so that two characters who have some sort of romantic tension can have some inter- interaction back and forth in the middle of the fight. You can have all sorts of drama, monologuing, uh, revealing of information in the middle of the fight. You can have non-combat things, skill checks going on, like uh, slicing in Star Wars, which is hacking in other games. People trying to disarm a bomb or trying to accumulate a number of successes to stop the summoning from occurring. There's all sorts of things that can happen as part of the combat, either instead of the combat or alongside the combat. And then you get into things like in Fate and Cortex, where you can have characters that are creating advantages or assets or situations or distinctions that will change the feel of the game itself. All that can be put in by the players, let alone what the GM wants to add in. Anybody else? So you can have those like little interlude beats, which is fine. Like players can do those things. They can have those little conversations, those little moments. You can also, and I think this is very much a a Chris thing, you can also put into the combat other things that have to get done. Mm -hmm. The skill checks, the skill challenges. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. but but there's like two ways that these can come in, right? Players can push stuff into the combat Mm -hmm. to break up the monotony, or the GM can set stuff up and be like, okay, there's a whole bunch of angry cultists. The head cultist is casting a ritual that if they complete, they're going to, you know, open this portal. And so there's going to be a combat, but also people can take actions such as like the wizard can cast a counterspell to keep the portal from, you know, proceeding, that kind of thing. And you can lay that all out at the table at the beginning of combat mm-hmm. and put that out there. So just, I think it's not that there are, I think we named, Jerry named all the things. I think my addition to it is there are player initiated and there are GM initiated ways to do that. Well, that makes sense. The last one I think I'm just going to add in 
is it's still a combat beat, but it changes the combat beat. Chris has talked about this a number of times. In most of his uh, big boss fights or climactic fights, he has the situation where the equivalent of bloodied, where something happens in the in the game, the villain loses a certain number of hit points or something, and suddenly the situation changes. The villain gets a different set of abilities. Something that is down comes back up again. Something changes that timer clock or something triggered by the actions of the combat that change the combat mid-combat. That's, That's interesting a, because it's it's a another combat beat inside mm-hmm. of the combat yep. that changes the combat. It's a, it's a good beat to have, I it's think. A, I gotta ask, can you do that sentence again but get combat in there one more time? I think I can. <laughs> it is a combat beat inside of the combat where the combat changes so that the combat becomes more interesting. Combat. Great video game combat. Combat, 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 combat. It's like that Buffalo sentence. Like you can say Buffalo 15 times, it's a real sentence. Like it's... I mean, if I was going to slim it down, I suppose I'd say having that combat beat change makes everything about that situation more interesting. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's the equivalent of like a dramatic twist in the middle of combat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. a combat twist in the middle of combat. Yes. So I could say combat again. There you go. Yes. By the way, if you're playing the drinking game, every time we say combat, don't drink because you'll die. Don't drink. The opening will kill you alone. And take a water break. <laughs> so. What is the difference between effective beat placement and poor beat placement? Well, I think effective beat placement keeps the game moving and can either heighten tension or bring an emotional or dramatic release. You know, tension and release. Tension and release. It's like fishing. Meanwhile, poor beat placement is going to slow the game to a crawl or it could create a lot of frustration and boredom. Tension builds up and nothing's ever released. You know, I got a question. Do you think it really slows the game to a crawl or does it just create the feeling that the game is slowing to a crawl? Anybody? Anybody? Is there a difference? No, there's really not. Because yeah. emotionally, that's that the is point. important. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The perception of the game slowing to a crawl, whether it's it's real or just perceived, is enough for a lot of people to go, oh. Because good beat placement can still slow the game down without making it feel like it's a crawl. I think the important part is good beat placement slows the game down in a place where it's good to slow the game down. Yep. Maybe the combat's progressing too quickly and you want to thread it out a little without padding the opposition with extra hit points and stuff like that. You can change beats and go to a dramatic beat, which all dramatic interactions tend to slow our play down because we're talking and things like that instead of just rolling and engaging mechanics. So if you do it right, you can kind of stretch out your game without mechanically tinkering with it. You know, Phil, there's probably a really good example that we could talk about that comes right from our Children of the Shroud game. Yeah, so if we're talking about the fight with the Lancaster... Legends? Legends. Win, by the way. <laughs> we, won't, we won't call it the Land of Evil anymore because Jerry asked us not. I got, it, I got the joke in once. We don't have yeah, to like, we'll beat never, it to death, yeah, we'll but I got again. it in. There's a couple things going on with that combat. First of all, there are three of you in the game. And if I just show up with one wizard... The chance that three of you can just take turns and just kick the crap out of him, it's pretty good, right? So then I either have to show up with three wizards, which is fine, but also not always the most interesting thing to do. So I did one magical character, and then thanks to Cortex, I was like, oh, I'll just turn all the rest of them into one mechanical object, a mob. And then I was like, well, that's two. That's cool. What do I do with the third one of you? And that's when I was like, oh, it'll be interesting if the ritual needs to get done. Like if the ritual gets done, they can't steal the magic. So now the ritual has this importance. So somebody should help the ritual keep going. Now there's three problems. There are three players. 
and I like that a bit more, like just from a GMing standpoint. And then purposely, I wanted to make sure you guys were clear. And I think I said it as we began that you could switch places because mm-hmm. I also didn't want it to be like, well, Chris is dueling him and all Jerry's doing is making skill checks to help Ike, which is not always the most exciting part of it, like just helping Ike complete the ritual. So I wanted to make sure that at any point during the turn, you guys could all change places. And I actually was thinking about that before you even mentioned it, because it is, of course, a trope where you get into a fight and, you know, A and B are fighting, C and D are fighting, and E and F are fighting. And they're like, this isn't going so well. Well, let's switch it up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because people have different strengths or whatever. It's like, oh, I'd be more effective against that guy. And even though he wanted to duel you, I'm going to step in and I'm going to cause trouble for him. And then you switch a roux and everything changes. And that in itself is a nice beat. There are also three different mechanical structures. Yep. So mm-hmm. one of them is engaging the duel, which is a more lengthy and complicated. It's a more intricate mechanic in the game. Then fighting a mob, that's interesting, but it's a little more streamlined. Mm-hmm. And then the most streamlined is the skill check. Except the skill check was the one that had the most interesting potential results because of the things we didn't know that were on the ritualist complications or the timer. Yeah. Some thought went into how to how to lay out that scene it so would, that, that I, in hopes that it would be engaging, tense, and not one tone. I liked all of that stuff. And I thought it's great because you did, that's the thing you're talking about. Those are GM facing. Yeah. And the other one is eventually GM facing too, but it's, it's a cut in when Silas went to go and deal with the ritual and had a one in there or a failure, and then he saw Mesame. That's a brilliant beat change right there. Mm-hmm. Right in the middle of like, sure, we, we, we are expecting these things, we're expecting these things, something unexpected just happened. And there's your drama beat. Boom. It, and it didn't have to be a drama beat. No, Te- but- Technique-wise, it could have been anything, but it was something that we didn't expect. Sure, I could have just slapped stress on you. You could have. And I would like to say that there was some plan for that. I mean, there yeah, wasn't. I know there wasn't. And it was just, it, it's that gut feel it of worked. just knowing, like, just knowing that the next, that this beat would be really interesting. Plus, you did a really good job when you were narrating everything. You led me through your description. So when that one came up and I was like, well, based on what he said was happening, what can I do with that one? It kind of led me right to. Actually, I actually don't think it was a one. I think I failed that role. Well, either way. Yeah, either way. Not that I'm going to remember. Yeah. Yeah. But. For me, you did a really good job of leading me with the narrative so that my next move, like I knew what beat, what move to make based off of yours because Mm -hmm. you had set me up so well. These are the strengths of role-playing games because you can do these things. You didn't just set a thing up and play out the thing that was set up. You made some calls to create a story that was interesting to everybody at the table, including yourself. Mm -hmm. One of the advantages also that players have to remember in GMs is that it's okay to temporarily pause the turn timing because the thing with silas took longer than what a normal mm-hmm. quote-unquote combat turn would happen and so the rest of us were just like during that p- point we're just dueling back and forth exchanging blows and nobody's hitting anything and just let that story go on because we don't have to worry about well what happens in this six second arc what happens in this six second arc and sometimes when you have that change in beat structure it's okay to suspend the time limit if your game has one for combat and just say okay for the next 30 seconds you guys are just exchanging blows and if you want to describe what happens, but in the meantime, this is what's happening. So that the player who is doing the non-combat beat has time to role play that out and talk about it and get it done, buy into it. And we did. 
Yeah, I mean, you see this all the time in movies. I actually have to dis- disagree with everything that Jerry just said from <laughs> from point of view. Like, yeah. look, in my head, that sequence that just occurred, mm-hmm. like time stopped for me and mess of me. Like yeah. nothing was happening. I was in like a little mm-hmm. pocket dimension. So time actually flowed anyway, but Cortex doesn't have six second time limits anyway. It is camera moving yeah. from place to place. Now, if we're talking about a game like D&D, or something that actually has a six second turn limit, like it says, it kind of states explicitly, like mm-hmm. these combat rounds take about six seconds. Um, you can suspend play for a moment to have those conversations, but I actually hate doing that. It, me personally, I can't stand doing that. I try really hard to keep everything within those six second beats if I can, if I can pull it off. And like when people have start talking or get like talking to each other or whatnot inside of a combat, I usually just think of that as conversations that are happening while the fight is going on, mm-hmm. even within those six second time time limits. You can do both. I was going to tack on to what you were saying is that, especially with Cortex, I am trying to emulate a show. Mm-hmm. So for me to have this like kind of slow down time moment mm-hmm. for with Mesame, it just works because that's leaning into some tropes into the game. But Chris is right. There's nothing where anything in Cortex is heavily structured like that. Even like a turn that somebody takes is like the camera's on you for that yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was vision- envisioning that while it was happening as the camera being inside the structure looking at silas with the fight outside in the background mm-hmm. and the fight outside in the background is like this slow motion yeah. thing that's going on yeah. while that's he's having his moment so like nothing nothing wrong either way but cortex doesn't have the six second structure game yeah. i do have the six second yeah. structure you can do it any way you want like mm-hmm. if you want to slow down that time extend it out be like 30 seconds have passed really or like a minute just passed and then we move the camera over here because when i have big battle sequences in my D games they have to otherwise it doesn't make sense but like if you have moment to moment combat with like four people on a mat versus like 12 to eight people on a mat then i don't know it, it's up to you how you want to handle that but for me personally like i i have a hard time when it feels like it's not moving in time because that just that's how those games tend to play for me that's fair in my head yeah yeah okay and it destroys the story in my head if i don't try to keep it that way that's why i don't play a lot of DD. i run a lot of DD <laughs> because people do stuff like that and it drives me crazy the important thing is keep those beats bumping yep yeah i'm actually more of a person who likes like not seriously timed turns just for this reason. I like to mess around with mm-hmm. camera story, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's just better if the game actually also does that with me. Because mm-hmm. I will actually try to play a game as designed. Like when we play Cyberpunk, that game's got a more rigid turn structure. Mm-hmm. I will have to be more rigid about turn structure. Yeah. When we play Cortex, like when we play Ox, I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's all happening roughly the same mm-hmm. time as you guys are running around the ship. Like, yeah, no problem. We're here. We're there. You know, because it's camera cuts. Yeah, we're it's the Roy Kent method of it's the Roy Kent method of of RPGs series there every fucking where. It's funny. Do you have an example of another time from another game where this kind of technique was used? And if so, how did you use it and how was it effective? Way back in the in the old timey days, back in the early nineties, I was running Warhammer Fantasy role playing, first edition. And we had a big fight with a big bad evil guy. And Warhammer doesn't have a lot of variance in the combat. But because of the way the system was set up, we had one player who was trying to resist chaos. We had a situation where we had players doing just about everything. We had a combined combat. We had some people making resistance roles. We had one person kind of monologuing as they were struggling with their inner demons. And we had two players that were just doing non-combat actions to try to undo a chaos signal at the same time. They never got involved in a single fight role. This all happened at the same time. It was one of the first times I tried to do it in a system that I wasn't as familiar with. But it was something that worked very well. And the fact that we simply said, okay, on this action, whatever you want to do takes your, takes your, your action role. And a lot of games, even at that point, still hadn't incorporated that kind of idea. 
but it was neat to see him because that there's because Warhammer has both a combat system and a skill system. It was easy to incorporate both at the same time and let people try different things and simply take all the different various and often strange abilities you get in Warhammer to try different things and see what they could do. What can I add for my resistance role? What kind of influence can I have on somebody? How can I use my fellowship skill to help my my friend resist chaos and so on? It became more than just we keep attacking the greater demon with our swords. Well, that's commonplace now. It's a lot of fun to have. And it was interesting to see the players all immediately dive into it. Today, that's fairly common. Most games have the ability to do that, or a lot of them do. But it was something in the past that worked, and it was something we just implemented. And it made what could have just been six characters attacking a greater demon into a whole bunch of things happening at once. And it was a lot of fun. I do this all the time in pretty much every game I run, so it's, yeah. it's like hard to think about. Like when our D&D game that we just had with Gozu, the mm-hmm. the Gacchus Thule, the, the eight-year-old Gacchus Thule mm-hmm. kid, like he would talk to you guys constantly. Mm-hmm. There were there were beats where you had to solve puzzles when you when you grabbed onto those items that were floating around <laughs> the 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 the, uh, the arena, and like traversing the arena in itself was not always super easy. You had to make some choices about that. Plus, there were monsters to fight who some of them you knew, which was every single one of those things is a different beat that can be utilized. So I didn't set it up to be beats. I set it up to give my option myself options for beats. Mm-hmm. So that is that is another way to go about that. Uh, who else has got one? Anybody else got one? Ever since I learned it from you, like, I don't know, eight something years ago, I pretty much try to work this in when I prep all the time. I'm less effective at it when I am ad-libbing a game and do okay with it. But if I am prepping a game, usually whatever the big challenge, big fight's going to be for the game, I put thought into what else can be going on in this scene. I very rarely will have just a big fight be a big fight like it's okay but it's to me there's almost something more interesting if i can put something else into into it as we go but i gotta ask you man as a player in a game have you ever done this and how did it go over have you ever tried to like slide in these extra beats inside of inside of combats and whatnot or different like drum like action situations i'm sure i've done it within the last year or two because my game has changed so much over the last 10 years, especially within the last couple, I've been doing a lot more proactive type things as a player to try and help with story and without even thinking of them as beats, you know, beat changes. So I know I've done it. I'm trying hard to think of a, of an example of one other than what Phil just said. I was thinking already of changing up who we were fighting against in that court, in that uh, children of the shroud fight before he said, that it was definitely a thing. I got one. I, I yeah. in our from our from our Children of the Shroud game. I actually changed the beat from being combat to casting magic when I decided to summon those swords. Mm-hmm. It actually threw you off a little bit mm-hmm. because you're mm-hmm. like, you should be fighting these people. I'm like, I just I want to summon a thing. I actually think Cortex and Fate do a good job of creating a space for that with their rules because of yes. the creation of aspects and the creation of a, mm-hmm. uh, uh, traits on the table. You don't have to fight, but you can craft something, essentially do something that is not, I hit you with my weapon. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. definitely way more space to do that as a player in those games. And even that is a beat change from the, I'm going to smack you and do damage sure. to you. I guess D&D does this too with its buff spells, like anything that's like, concentration. like I'm going to cast Bless. That's not the same as I'm going to hurt you. That's true. The Genesis system with those dice, because all those dice can generate uh, advantages and disadvantages on the table that can then be defined by the player. A player can just say, I'm doing X, Y, and Z in a combat round that has nothing to do with combat. And then if they roll enough either successes, they can do the thing they want to try to do. And if they just roll some advantages, they can then define what those advantages are and how they can be used by the players at the table. So they can constantly be doing things in the room, whether it's 
moving furniture around, setting up terrain, hacking a computer, laying down on the floor so somebody trips over them, whatever. Um, <laughs> they can do, but the dice mechanic allow you to do that. And if you've got creative players, they can then say, okay, I've got these things. And because the dice will generate a certain number of advantages, it tells the GM and the players what the results are, the equivalent of basically getting a D12 or a D8 kind of thing. It gives you some sort of modification you can use going forward. Now, I'm sort of hedging when, when we're talking about this as a player because, mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of these things that we're talking about, and I know I, I did it too, is are things that you actually can explicitly do inside of a, a combat situation and are not mm -hmm. like necessarily other beats outside of the combat minigame. Engaging with a skill check or a mm -hmm. skill challenge of some mm -hmm. sort is actually engaging with a beat outside of the combat minigame. I have a question for you about one that happened in a game you ran a couple years ago. Sure. Your D&D &D game. Your wife, Jen, we were on a rope trying to climb down. We were being attacked by monsters from above. We were trying to get to the ground to stop our disadvantage of being on a rope. We could only move so fast. And your wife, Jen, used her movement action. Instead of fighting the monsters, she grabbed the two of us and then just dropped off the rope so that she took the damage and we could get to the ground in time without... Uh, I don't even remember this game. It's, that's the one where she threw me in the midair and I was firing two pistol crossbows at the same time. I, it must have been an Eberron game. It, it was Eberron. Be. It was your Eberron game. But... Instead of trying to fight, she was our fighter. Instead of fighting in the combat, she instead realized that everybody would be safer on the ground. So she used her actions yeah, totally to pull up. We'd, we'd climbed as far as we could go. We'd gone as far as we could go because of the action, the initiative of the turn. She just grabbed the two people closest to her and flung herself off the rope. So she took the damage as we hit the ground and we could still move further without taking a move action, which was just using the rules. But it was neat because all of a sudden it changed the entire scope of where the next turn was going to be yeah, and also created an entire change of the dynamic of how that fight was going because now we were three of us were on the ground actually a really difference. good example of a player using the actual combat rules or the the action economy inside of a fight to change the situation in the middle of the fight yeah that's, that's a pretty good example plus that, i got to do the cool thing of flying through mid-air firing two pistol crossbows there, there's that too cool. to bridge this in our previous episode on on the fly rules if a system does not have a good set of mechanics for other things I can do in combat, I actually get frustrated. Like if my only options are movement and some sort of attack action, not where I can't set up somebody, those kinds of things, like I will start to get, I, not that I'll get frustrated, it becomes super limiting. And so sometimes it's helpful when a GM will on the fly make rulings like, can I go pull the curtains down yeah, kind of and, thing. And they should say yes, because that creates a play, that creates a play culture at the table. Yes. Yeah. It encourages like, let's have some out of the box thinking here, but also let's make it mechanically meaningful. You know, we, we probably should have talked about that. It didn't even occur to me. The idea of creating rules on the fly and, and making these, these, these rule calls and whatnot actually is a thing that creates a play culture at your table. Yeah. I mean, if you do that in a specific way, it will encourage other people to play that way. Yeah. Now, if your game has a baked in, like Fate or Cortex, mm -hmm. it's, it's really easy because mechanically, if you say that to me, I'm like, cool, are you creating a trade at the table? Right? Are you creating an asset for somebody to use? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, good. We have mechanics for that. But if we're playing a game that doesn't have that, and I'm like, hey, can we do that? And you're like, yeah, that's going to, that'll give Bob a uh, plus one forward. Mm -hmm. on on his next role then it's cool because not i don't always necessarily want to hit something mm -hmm. right so sometimes i want to i'm seeing the scene and i'm trying to do the cool things that go with it or i don't want to kill steal bob's kill mm -hmm. right so what can i do to give bob a little extra advantage without running in and hitting it and possibly wasting it because you know bob should get to kill stuff too mm -hmm. <laughs> that kind of thing so yeah, I just, I like, I like when GMs are comfortable 
making those kinds of line calls about, sure, that's not in the rules, but cool, let's go with that. This is where I think that D&D has one thing that, I don't know if it's written in the rules this way, but literally, you can just create advantage for another player if you really wanted to. I mean, the GM needed to, needed to wing a rule on yeah, the fly. Yeah, it's just the help action. The, yeah. the help action exists. It gives somebody advantage. Yeah. You just have to figure out what you're doing, and then, but if you narrate it, hey, I do this, and that gives somebody else advantage, which in D&D means you roll twice and pick the highest roll. Yeah, which is not always the most advantageous thing to do because, you know, do you do you just do your own thing and roll a d20 or do you just give somebody else two d20 rolls? I mean, it depends on the situation, right? Yeah, but, what they're doing. But I mean, it, but it's but it's still it's still a good rule on the fly. Yeah, and I think advantage is a nice shorthand way to to handle it. You can on the fly say other things like, "Oh, well, uh, yeah, if you make that strength check, you pull the curtains down, and now that creature can't see." Yes, I was going to say that, but you, you beat me to yeah. it. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's maybe more interesting. Mm-hmm. Now they're blinded and they're tangled up. Yep. Yes, and that's a, and that's different than just having advantage. Well, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on top of it, if that creature needed to see, say, to cast a spell or something, mm-hmm. you've just con- you've totally destroyed that. Yeah, you've just really upped, like you've really shook up the game mm-hmm. with. What could potentially just be a strength check. Yep. And yeah. now they have to make a check to pro- potentially get like out of that, or they have to take their turn to get out of it, which basically they've wasted their turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And action economy in that particular game is very important. Yep. Yeah. I love Most that games, stuff. really. Yeah. Um, you yeah, will, you but, will then get into a lot of making pools <laughs> on the fly at that moment, yeah. which is cool. Embrace it. Just mm-hmm. like, you should. Like, that's. Yes, and. These are the strengths of. I don't know. Yes, and is, is mm-hmm. a good technique. Yeah, I, I think I like, yes, let's make it work yeah. better. I also like the, if we're going to give that much mechanical advantage to what happens, then on the other side of it, there's going to be a mechanical cost as in you have to make a check for this. Or, or, you know, just remember everybody else can do that stuff to you later. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Good for the goose, good for the gander. There's got to be some balance to that thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, you want crits where you can have your arm cut off? Sure. Yeah. Or where you can cut off the bad guy's arms and things like that. Sure. You realize this comes back the other way. Then that's when everybody's like, oh, never mind. Yeah. Well, crit, crits are their own special little thing. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole lot of special little things that we could have talked about. You want to talk about advantage or disadvantage in Dungeons and Dragons? We can talk about how there's a huge amount of people that freaking hate that rule. Mm-hmm. Just how it unbalances things. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to because that's yeah. what this episode is about. <laughs> yes. Anyways, what are some techniques or tips you would explicitly suggest based on all of the things that we've just talked about? Oh, I think... One of the key ones is if you're going to, especially from a player side, if you want to push in and change beats, really have a good grasp of beat structure. And just, rules, potentially. Yeah, just jumping in to have a dramatic scene in the middle of somebody else's like combat turn or whatever could be throwing things off like, oh, Bob just got hit for zero hit points and be like, and I'm talking to the... I'm talking to, you know, the, you know, blood sister or whatever. And it's like, maybe this isn't the right time. <laughs> I don't know. It could be exactly the right time to create a cliffhanger, or it could completely disrupt the flow of what's happening based on tension. So have a good feel for, you know, when to make those kind of pushes inward or have a signal to ask if you can push in. A good version of that from our game is when Bob was quipping with uh, whatever his name was, ba- baseball bat boy. Yes. Oh, the the legend in his own mind. Yes, the legend yes. in his own mind. Uh, I, I am legend. Yeah, yes, the, I am legend. I am legend. I thought that was really good. I, I thought it told a lot about both characters. Mm-hmm. One, you hate bullies. He was an arrogant. Oh, he was. There was prick. nothing likable yeah. about that character. Yeah. I think that's quality inserting role-playing and beat structure to mm-hmm. the combat because that's the stuff that we see in film all the time right mm-hmm. like it actually helps with the uh the flow of the fight when you see it in a lot of action movies or or i mean 
Not that I want to step on this landmine, but Wuxia. <laughs> I mean, Wuxia we have, tells we have yeah. no place to step on that w- landmine. Wuxia tells a story with its combat. Sure, I mean, this is years. We we have like plenty of years behind us now, and we understand a lot better from our mistakes. We were yes. just wrong. We were in. just wrong, and we took it down from the website, and it's only for our patrons. That's so right. We're yeah, safe. Yeah. So, like telling stories with fights is important. Telling role playing games are mostly a, a verbal medium. Yes, I would say as a GM, be open to the players making these kinds of decisions during combat to help change the beat structure. Don't be hard and rigid with your rules and everything like that. If, if something looks like it's, you can be flexible enough to do it and it's going to help with the beat structure and, and that kind of thing, be open to letting that happen. And as a player, don't be afraid to try or to ask if you can try. Like Phil said, if you, you kind of have to understand how some of the stuff works and the mechanics and everything, but don't be sitting back just and never take that opportunity. If something comes to mind, you're like, oh, this would be really cool. I think it would work. Take a shot. Mm-hmm. And as a GM at the same time, when the player decides to do something you're not expecting, feel free to do what both of these GMs do all the time, which is ask, what are you trying to do here? And don't ask it sarcastically. Like, what are you trying to do so I can help you with whatever mechanical or non-mechanical thing you need to attempt that, whether it succeeds or not. I, I agree. I need to know what to engage here. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I need to know what are you attempting to do so we know which pathway mm-hmm. or there is no pathway. Mm-hmm. Like, can, we, can we take a second to talk about, about actual beat structure for a second? Yeah. 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 Because we keep throwing this word around, but I think I realized that we might be doing ourselves a disservice and the listeners a disservice. So like the beat is fractal. Your beat structure can be how your scenes are beat it out and then your beat structure can be how the individual moments of a scene are going so like if we confuse anybody think about recontextualize everything we we're just talking about from that point of view because mm-hmm. you can have a combat or a conflict scene like we're talking about from our children of the shroud game then we, we are talking about the beats that exist inside of that so mm-hmm. for instance when bob quips with the bully that's a role-playing drama beat almost then there's the part where there's the description and the dice roll that goes along with the fighting part. And then there's the cut to like inside doing the ritual, which is a different beat, which uh, mm-hmm. there you can actually hear it where Ike is like, gotta keep the ritual going. Mm-hmm. As then you were trying to then roll the dice to once again do that. Like these things are purposefully done in the game to help tell the story and not keep it boring or just keep it mechanical and actually be a story. That's the thing that I want to say, I think about about the idea of what a beat is inside of a scene and what a beat is from just like scene beats, beats of scenes. Yeah. And they, and they have similar properties. Mm-hmm. You can have a combat scene that is broken up very nicely. You can have uh, many scenes in a dungeon crawl mm-hmm. where you have a combat and then an exploration an interaction, then a combat, a trap, that kind of thing that also breaks those yep. things up. It's kind of the neat thing about, it's kind of the neat thing about that structure is that it applies to many levels, which is also why sometimes when we're watching a movie, we like a particular scene, but we don't actually like the progression of scenes. Yeah. Because the beat structure inside the scene might have been done really well, but when we zoom back out to the overall, we're like, oh, like, mm-hmm. yes, that combat scene was good, but it's also the fifth combat scene I've seen in a row. Yes. Might be too much. Might be too much. Yeah. I think that was worth talking about. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. All right. We're going to talk about another show because we like talking about other shows on the network. We've got the Gnomecast, which is uh, one of our favorite shows, because the Gnomecast is fun. It is fun. Several gnomes from Gnome Stew get together to talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and to avoid being thrown in the stew pot. 
because mm-hmm. you know nobody wants to be thrown in the stew pot. Actually, you could just you can hear Senda and Jared and Ange talking about world building. That's one of the more recent episodes of the Gnomecast. Cool. Good episode. Well, let's do some Patreon shoutouts. Why don't you uh, hit us up with those then there, hey, Mr. Bob? Look at this. It's time for the Royal Court. Big, big shout out. Thank yous to Ty Prunty, who is Lord Timonger, Lars Henrik Evjan, the Lord Out of Time, Jim, the Royal Merchant Emeritus, Chromatic Chameleon, the Queen's Spy Mistress, Schmitty, the Keeper of the Labyrinth. Andrew Dacey, the Warden of Whiskies. Andy Olson, the Duke of Dice. Evil John Carney, the Court Necromancer. Craig, the Lord of One Name. You know, I don't think John is actually evil. He's not actually proven to be evil. Yeah, I mean, I think he's actually a pretty nice guy. I mean, I know know we call him Evil John Carney. I'm just one one of his his handles is Evil John. Such a nice guy. He is one of the nicest people you will ever meet. Seriously. It's probably not as, it probably doesn't roll off as nicely as like super good John Carney. I know, right? Like evil. Evil John Carney sounds way cooler. Yeah. In any event, Tiberius Starcrash Smith, the Baron of Britannia, Kevin Lovecraft, the Royal Beard, and JT Evans, the Queen's Librarian. And a big thank you to everyone for listening to this. If you like this show, you can hear more just like it at mistrictomark.com. If that's not enough, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMP, which has hundreds of bonus episodes available. Aside from the bonus episodes from the after show in the Bamboo Lounge, you also get our MM Plays game stuff like Phil's Nifty Setting for the Children of the Shroud, our characters, the mods we're using, Phil's Session Zero worksheet, the behind the screen audio episodes, my game development notes on the Lamplighter system, which will power the Streets of Avalon role playing game, and most importantly, most importantly, access to our Slack channel, which is the best way to talk to us. That's mm-hmm. it right there. <laughs> if the Slack channel isn't your thing, you can still email us at mmp at misdirectedmark.com or hit us up on the various social media networks in which we reside. The show and the network is at misdirectedmark. But you can find us in a whole host of other places, such as... You can catch me at, at GM Gerrymander on Twitter, Dice Camp, and Facebook. I am the Light 101 on Twitter and uh, Chris Sneeze on Dice Camp these days. I am at Robert M. Everson on Twitter and Dice Camp. And I'm DNA Phil at both Twitter and Dice Camp. Lastly, we have a bunch of other shows on Misdirected Mark Productions. The roster includes Pandas Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, Bonus Experience, and Fecko with Advantage. And if that still isn't enough, good God, come on now. We have friends who create content. There's the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, the Knights of the Night with their excellent AP, Mastering Dungeons, which is all about D&D, and How to RPG, hosted by Sean P. Kelly of Gaming and BS. You can catch him live on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern on YouTube. And Chris is quite often in the chat room. I am pretty much there all the time. This has been a Mr. Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out. Simulated punch because I don't want to move the mic out of alignment. Thud.